Hi, I'm Jay Wyant, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hello, everyone. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to ADA Live. I am Marcia Schwanke, web specialist at the Southeast ADA Center. Listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, you can use the online form anytime at adalive.org. The pandemic has impacted every aspect of our work and daily lives. The virtual environment has allowed us to stay connected to employees, colleagues, doctors, family, friends, and even make new connections. In some ways, virtual platforms help inclusivity and accessibility. For instance, eliminating the need and time for costly commutes. However, in other ways, they may present barriers to participation for people with disabilities. ADA Title I requires employees to make reasonable accommodation for otherwise qualified employees with disabilities. ADA Title II entities, state and local governments, and ADA Title III entities, business and nonprofit organizations that serve the public, are required to communicate effectively with people who have disabilities. The goal is to ensure communication with people with disabilities is equal effective as communication with people without disabilities. Here to discuss the impacts of this virtual world and how to ensure that meetings are inclusive and accessible for all, we are happy to welcome as our guests, Alexa Huth, Strategic Communications Lead for the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, abbreviated as P-E-A-T, and Jay Wyant, Chief Information Accessibility Officer for the state of Minnesota. Jay, we're gonna start with you. As the state of Minnesota's first Chief Information Accessibility Officer, abbreviated as CIAO or CHOW, what was, why was this role created? And what is your responsibility for accessible virtual meetings? Hi, this is Jay Wyant. Well, in 2009, the Minnesota's legislature passed the Digital Accessibility and Usability Law, which mandated setting up a statewide standard. Two years later, the legislature created the Office of Accessibility and the role of the Chief Information Accessibility Officer to lead implementation of that standard. Our office works with the state's 70 plus agencies and 35,000 employees to best ensure that all things digital, from systems to websites to electronic documents, are accessible. So the state COVID-19 response, as you pointed out, increased reliance on digital forms of communication so that state employees can safely work while providing Minnesota with the information they need to stay safe. That means focusing quickly on three areas, accessible websites, 
accessible web application, and accessible online meeting. Fortunately, we had a decade of experience to prepare. Most of the state's websites were already accessible, and we had made great strides in improving the accessibility of key systems, such as the state's HR programs. And many agencies, including ours, already had telecommuting processes set up. So for accessible websites, the biggest lift were creating accessible dashboards and infographs to inform the public about COVID rates and educate them on public health best practices. And then I have a couple of websites I can share with you all online afterwards about that, especially the Department of Health website. Those websites have over 2,832 pages, links, and documents to keep Minnesotans informed, all of which were made accessible. And then there's online meetings. At the start of COVID, our office published a number of blogs with information and resources for state employees and the larger public on how to ensure you're including all of your attendees. We also put vendors to improve key features to make them more accessible. We have maintained an active dialogue over the past year with several online platform vendors as they continue to improve their offering. Thank you, Jay. Wow, what an incredible impact on accessibility your organization has made and the state of Minnesota, the progress they've made on accessibility. Jay, you also have a unique perspective on virtual meetings. Can you tell us about that? This is Jay speaking. Well, I was born deaf. And so I rely very much on virtual media. I need to relive. Um, I hear okay with, hear with my cochlear implant, but I still need to relive to understand what's being said. So it's very helpful to have people's faces to have the video of the people. But not everybody likes to be on video, even though they don't mind being in person, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so captioning is critical to my ability to participate in online meetings. And we have used in, in, in the past, when we were telecommuting, we were having group meetings, we could always plan for and prepare for a card writer to help caption the larger, more significant meeting. But the more ad hoc meeting has to be in person. Well, that's changed with the pandemic. So the, the push for automated captioning really ramped up in, during the pandemic. The first three or four months was tough because we didn't have it. But by August and September, we started having active uh, automated captioning to help augment the time when we can have a live cut writer. That made a huge difference in the ability to have more impromptu and more frequent meetings. Thank you so much, Jay, for sharing your unique perspective. Alexa, can you tell us about the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, or short for PEAT? and their mission to foster inclusive remote working environments? 
Sure. So at Pete, we really envision a future where new and emerging workplace technologies are built accessible from day one. So we want to ensure the workforce has access to technology without barriers. And that includes remote meeting platforms, digital materials, and chat apps. As virtual meeting platforms become more popular, we also want employers to consider accessibility before they buy a new technology. And Alexa, you also have a unique perspective on the virtual meetings. Can you tell us about that? Yes, so I actually started losing my vision about a decade ago. Um, I have something called lattice degeneration, which caused both of my ret retinas to detach um, around the same time. And after having many surgeries, I was able to save, well, the surgeons were able to save quite a bit of my sight. And with that, I found that I needed new technology to interact with my daily life, to finish my master's program, and eventually to actually get to work. And that's why these remote meeting platforms are so key to me actually being able to interact at my job. Thank you, Jay and Alexa, for sharing those unique perspectives and the initiatives and all the work that your organizations have been doing in the realm of accessibility and inclusivity. So now we'll move on to, you know, of course, there's many different platforms to host virtual meetings. Um, what are some of the advantages and the disadvantages to virtual meeting platforms? What features can provide more accessible, inclusive participation? This is Jay speaking. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the past year saw an acceleration in the use of automated captioning. While live captioning, such as what we're using on the call today, remained the standard. Automated captioning became a critical tool for smaller and more impromptu meetings. It became a lifeline for many employees who suddenly could not meet face-to-face. -face. Many more and more vendors are rolling out automated captioning features, or as in this case, now I, um, we're using Zoom, into Zoom uses a third-party vendor, Auto AI. So some are using those third-party vendors and some are building in the system themselves. But either way, all of the major platforms recognize that have offered some form or some access to automated captioning. The greatest challenge, however, in, in our opinion, has been keyboard accessibility. Before COVID, if a person with a disability encountered a barrier, like such as somebody with a sight disability or somebody with mobility impairment, they can call over a coworker to help figure out what was wrong or use the mouse to resolve an issue. Now, these same employees were often by themselves at home, and issues that were previously annoying became insurmountable barriers. We identified our office with, along with our teammates we identify key issues and we push vendors to update their software. Many vendors also migrated, if they were not already doing so, to SaaS, Software as a Service Platform, with rolling updates, where previously they were issuing updates like every six months or every year, major updates. Now they were updating on a rolling basis. This, on one hand, helped accelerate so that we identify a problem, they can put it, prioritize any business. But it also means that we have to keep testing the software to make sure they don't break a feature. Very hard to keep up with that. 
Similarly, as platform race to provide more and richer features, we need to ensure that they are available to everyone. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Thank you, Jay. Very, very helpful information and insights in, in the platform development towards accessibility and the current issues. Alexa, what tips can you provide in the process for selecting an accessible virtual meeting platform? There are so many platforms out there. And I think it's really important to do your research first and prioritize accessibility when you're even looking at platforms before you fire any new technology. That's going to benefit your employees now and into the future. So making sure that you get support from executives, setting those procurement priorities from the start and figuring out what your accessibility needs are are going to be critical. You're setting yourself up for success and making inclusion a part of the process. And that goes for any technology you acquire, not just for remote meetings, but making sure that you know what you're looking for is important. Then when you start looking at platforms, you should expect them to have clear descriptions of their accessibility features. You should look for a variety of features, specifically um, any screen reader capabilities, which I'm personally very, very fond of. I use a screen reader every day. So of course that's top of my list, but it's also important to look for high quality captioning, a 10 digit call-in number, all sorts of things like that. Um, listeners can check out Pete's by IT guide um, that will help assess the platforms and make sure that the technology that they're considering sticks to these accessibility best practices. So Alexa and Jay, um, we've talked a lot about captioning but can you talk a little bit more about providing effective ASL? What about audio description? This is Jay speaking. So there are multiple ways to think about ASL, but the key thing is that the interpreter needs to be visible. So you need to have a way to ensure that the interpreter can stay on screen. You can think about it this way. A lot of um, programs are set up to use the sound to determine who the audio, who video to show. So if I'm speaking and then I stop and the best starts to speak, her video comes on screen. Mm. Well, that doesn't help with an interpreter because an interpreter is not speaking, they're signing, but they need to be visible. So we need to make sure that the application you allow either you to spotlight with everyone or for the person for whom the interpreting is being done to spotlight the interpreter. So at least one of those need to be available. One of those tools need to be available for that to happen. Regarding audio description, it's quite simple. Every time there is an image, or every time there's a shaft, or every time somebody does a thumb up, thumbs up, or anything that visual that happens, say that it happens. Say, oh, by the way, Rebecca gave a thumbs up, or somebody typed something in the chat, read the chat out loud, or if you are using slides, describe what's on the slide. The meaning, not all the details of why the slide is there and what the slide is communicating. So those two things are things you want to think about when you are planning or conducting your meeting. Thank you, Jay. Um, Alexis, um, anything to add? No, again, Jay, I have learned so much from you today. So this has been wonderful too. I, I really appreciate learning your perspectives and hearing everything that you have to say. Thank you, Alexa and Jay. ADLA listening audience, if you have questions about this topic 
or any other ADA Live topics, you can submit your questions online at www.adalive.org or call the Southeast ADA Center at 1-404-541-9001. And now a word from this episode's sponsors. The Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, PEAT, helps to create a future where accessible technology is standard in all workplaces. By focusing on equity and fostering collaborations across industry, government, and advocacy groups, PEAT addresses the root issue, designing and creating technologies with inclusion at the forefront and people with disabilities involved at every stage. PEAT also creates robust resources that guide employers through each step of choosing accessible technology, implementing it, and training staff on best practices. For more information about PEAT, visit their website at www.peatworks.org. Minnesota IT Services Office of Accessibility works with Minnesota state agencies to develop policies and implement processes and best practices that ensure digital government operations and services are accessible and usable for all. Subscribe to the Office of Accessibility's newsletter to find tips on digital accessibility, new resource, and upcoming events. To subscribe, send a text to the number 468311 and write capital M N I T space capital A 11 lowercase y. Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation on virtual meetings. Before the break, we were talking about selecting an accessible meeting platform. Now let's get some insight into the how-to. In planning, what are some checkpoints I can do before the virtual meeting to promote accessibility? Jay, that's a great question. And just I'd like to take a minute just before we talk about that to um, follow up on what Alaska was saying is that you have, if you do want to do your research, you also have to, when you do your research, recognize that, as we said before, the technology keeps moving rapidly. So you want to make sure that you not only understand what the platform does, but how the platform components intersect with each other. Regarding the planning part, the interesting thing about all of this regarding remote meetings is that the bulk of what makes remote meetings accessible is what you, the person running the meeting, do. The technology is important, but what's most important is what you do in working, making the meetings inclusive. So if you read our blog post, you'll see that accessibility and inclusion starts with that, with your planning. Taking this approach helps overcome many technical challenges. First, take a minute to define your meeting. All of this will help you define the goals of your meeting. For example, is it a presentation or is it a working meeting? You want to think about how people ask questions. Are they doing it verbally? Are they doing it through the chat? Both, some other mechanisms. Also, how do you share information? And how can your meeting attendees review the information being shared? Once you've done all that, and, and once you've defined the purpose, review the options of your meeting platform. If you know whether or not you want a group discussion 
or if you need to facilitate any decision making, you can decide whether to use meeting options like polls, hand raising, screen sharing, and so forth, and then thinking through the accessibility implications of each option. For example, and this is what I mentioned earlier by interacting platform, interacting components, you want to confirm whether using the chat while someone is talking does not interfere with the ability of assistive technology users like screen readers to follow the audio. Because in some platforms, the chat talks while the person is talking, and that can be a real problem. So you want to make sure you know about that. And if so, you tell people not to use the chat unless there's a pause, and then you can enter data into the chat. So those are the things you want to be aware of when you're planning it. The third biggest thing is to never fly solo when you are running a meeting. Always assign other people to take notes, help with technology troubleshooting, and manage the chat features, just like you're doing here. You've got three or four people in this meeting, just man helping manage the meeting while the person is talking. Other roles you want to consider are the captaining or card provider, the AIGL interpreter, and the contact for calling yourself. By the way, speaking of AIGL interpreting, that's another factor to consider in planning for your meeting and your meeting tour is can you spotlight or focus on the AHL interpreter while also allowing video for the person speaking while also allowing a slideshow. So those are the other components to think about. Um, almost finally, include necessary information in the meeting invitation. When sending out the email announcement, or invitation of the meeting, explain the purpose of the meeting and provide relevant material by attachment or link. You should also note if you are providing a separate captioning option and provide a link for that capability. For larger meetings, webinars, and formal presentations, you should include a statement for people who may want to request accommodation along with contact information. Finally, when you get set up, before you sign into that meeting, ensure you are using a high-quality webcam, microphone, or headset. So as you can see, these are all just general good meeting best practices. They're not unique to accessibility, but they help make the meeting more accessible. For example, imagine that some of the people in the meeting are calling in by phone. So literally, they cannot see. doesn't matter. They can see you in person. They're on the phone. They can see what you're doing. How are you going to run the meeting to include them as well as people who are in the meeting virtually? So I'll stop there for now. Thank you so much, Jay. You know, as you said before, before is a, plays a huge part with the research and just how much everything makes it accessible for everyone and usable for everyone. And of course, you know, all of us have um, are impacted because our environment and our technology. Um, change um, and the user needs change. So it's not even, you know, just again limited to people with disabilities. It applies to all of us. So, in looking ahead, can you share some emerging technology developments and the impact on accessible meetings? I absolutely agree with everything that Jay just said. I really want to echo how important it is to ask if anyone needs accommodations before the meeting. Also to have many things in place ahead of time, just as de default options. As he said, these should just be standard for meetings. I know, for example, in my case, 
I don't always know what my vision is going to be on the day of the meeting, and I don't always know what to ask for. So if somebody doesn't send the slides ahead of time, sometimes that's okay with me, and sometimes it's not. So generally, I think it's best practice to send slides ahead of time. Make sure everybody has a chance to review the material and really stay informed on what the meeting is going to be. That's something that's helped me so many times, but it wouldn't necessarily be something I requested. So it's really nice to consider these things for your audience ahead of time, things that they might not ask for, but they might actually need. Great insights, Alexa. And, and again, because all of our situations can change and you know, I might have a good internet connection one day and not the day of the meeting. So, you know, making sure that, you know, it, it's on the same level for, for everyone to have that access. And so it's much more flexible, you know, as, as needs um, change. So, you know, it's the day of the meeting and, you know, what are some best practices I can do during that virtual meeting to provide accessibility? Can you um, add on to that? Yes, I certainly can. That's a great question. So first, start with the ground rules. If there's a large group explaining how a person will get the floor to be able to comment or ask a question. In some cases, everybody's fine with the free for all. But in other cases, we need to have some order and structure. So for example, as a deaf person, if people are talking over each other, I have no way of knowing when I can start talking. Secondly, make sure to account for people who are only using the phone or who don't have audio capability, just like you said earlier. Your, your computer is not working too well all of a sudden. You're, you're limited type. Then, introduction. Remind everyone to say their name before speaking. If you are going to have people introduce themselves, let them know before it happens. <laughs> then, you can add important information in the chat feature. So, for example, if you are holding a meeting on a platform that includes chat, you can include information that you would also explain verbally. This information can be a separate call-in number, a separate captioning link, or attachment or link that you're discussing. Ideally, you provided all those in advance. You can provide them again during the meeting. When you do so, you pause, let people know what's happening, enter everything in the chat, let it be read out, and then continue. Share recording is another thing. If you are going to be recording, let everyone know that and announce when and where the recording will be available in an accessible format. Now, if you're presenting or to facilitate a conversation, you want to, number one, remove distractions. So you want to turn off or mute your email and other notifications and set your person to do not disturb. Close your other applications and your content and you're not going to be sharing the meeting. I bet that I violate that rule a lot. I have too many things open and I need to do a better job of closing everything. Secondly, describe all your visuals or what's being shared on the screen. So for example, if we're talking and then somebody um, puts a thumbs up, we say, hey, show and show to put a thumbs up. So we let people know that it happened. Also, you should have a side channel with a chat monitor. So at the beginning with a live meeting, somebody should be watching the chat for people who are not able to speak or who need to ask something on the side, that person can maybe say, hey, this person has brought up a question. What should that person say and read the question? 
When a talker has a sharp model to read aloud the item, the question did the sharp before answering. When multiple people have asked to speak, the chat monitor can then announce the order. First, we have Beth, then we have Kendall, then we have Fred. So they can plan ahead about their time to speak or comment in the chat, whatever the mode of communication. Finally, make sure that everyone has a chance to contribute. There are people of all types and all personalities, introverts and extroverts, people who are quick to speak, people who take more time to think before they speak, people who like to speak, think while speaking, people who like to think before they speak, and so on. So you recognize that all, all, all these reasons, you will allow time for participants to add their notes in the chat or ask to speak. Provide multiple ways to collect feedback and avoid letting any one person dominate the audio. Now that's for the facilitator, for everyone, for all people who participate, you want to, number one, like I said before, introduce yourself. Start off by saying, this is Jay. And every time you speak, you say, this is Jay. We've gotten so much into the habit for that, by the way, that when we're all in person, we still do it. It's a habit we have. And sometimes when we're in person, one or two of the people may be blind, and we know that. Secondly, we mute our microphone when not speaking. Third, if you are not speaking, consider turning your camera off. You can upload a picture or avatar, see faces rather than initial, create the possibility of feeling of interaction. So it's much better, we feel like we're among colleagues rather than strangers. Then looking to, directly into the camera when speaking. You don't like to see yourself while speaking. Look at the layout option for a way to hide your self view window. Then consider your background. You want to clear out your laundry, remove distraction, or have some kind of um, blur in your background. Avoid speaking from a dark room, what was like directly behind you. Finally, avoid speaking too quickly after the previous speaker. Allow for a pause, give the person time to finish, and then speak. So those are the basic guidelines for good meeting best practices that also make the meeting accessible and inclusive. Thank you, Jay. Those are great, you know, practical tips just for disability meeting etiquette in general. Um, and again, meeting everyone's needs. Alexa, um, additions? Well, Jay hit all of, all of the best tips. So he did an excellent job with that as, as usual. I would like to add, if you are attending or hosting a meeting virtually or even in person, being a good ally is really important. Making sure that you are watching out for things that might not be accessible. I know this is something that I've experienced since I joined Pete. Um, our co-directors, Corinne Weibel and Bill Curtis-Davidson have been incredible at doing this for me. And it's something I didn't even know I needed. Uh, but when, I, when we're in a meeting and they notice something that might be complicated, they handle it. And they don't say, oh, Alexa might need these slides sent, or you're scrolling too quickly for Alexa. They just say, how about we scroll a little bit more slowly or something like that. So just being a good coworker, colleague, attendee, and making sure that you're respecting everyone's needs. It, it can really help and it's made a huge difference for me. Thank you for sharing that perspective, Alexa. It is, it's so important that we, you know, treat each other with the same respect and you know work work together. 
We know that uh, the digital world is here to stay. And so looking ahead though, can you share some emerging technology developments and their potential impact on accessible meetings? This is Jay. Well, I've already mentioned auto captioning. And, we, and as we know, sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't work too well. For example, I have a pretty significant deaf accent. So, time, so, so sometimes the auto captioning has a hard time with my voice, but it's getting better all the time. Another feature that some platforms are rolling out is adding speaker names next to the caption. So while you should always self-identify, it's also helpful to see the name next to the caption. Then polling tools are becoming really popular, where you can get people to vote on something or to find out the best time to meet, things like that. But the jury remains out on their accessibility. So if you run a poll, assume that some of your audience are on the phone. Now, don't even think about the disability part. Assume that people can't see your user. So you'll always have to provide alternative methods and verbalize resourcing data. Then the virtual reality. We're always talking about virtual reality these days, especially on online conferencing platforms. You know, those big virtual conferencing now, they're using a lot of VR. That's the next new thing. We're going to have to continue to crowdsource our testing and our feedback and our input in order to stay abreast with those kind of challenges and solutions. There's simply no way, especially with, as I mentioned, how vendors are now going to assess always rolling updates, always rolling fixes, that it's impossible to, to test and verify every time there's an update. So we can always have to call to keep talking with each other about what's working and what's not working. And especially when they make the rolling updates, making sure that the rolling updates don't break or was already working. And so what I would say that one of the biggest things coming forward is simply keeping up with all the changes that all the vendors are making. Yeah, de definitely, definitely, Jay. Um, you know, we, we so know that technology and the information we're presenting is not static. Um, it's not a one-time checkbox. You really have to stay um, up to date on it, in the loop, get the scoop. So, Alexa, um, uh, is there things that uh, Pete is working on in the realm of emerging technology? Yes, yeah, so we're actually about to release some resources so tip there, watch our peteworks.org for more information because uh, these immersive technologies like augmented, mixed, and virtual realities are having a big impact on a lot of workplaces. But we do, as Jay said, really need to consider how accessibility fits in. As these technologies are being built and adopted, they're not necessarily being done with a focus on accessibility, and that shouldn't be happening. We should be building accessibility in ensuring that people with disabilities are testing, are helping at every phase of development. And so that's something that Pete really, really is focusing on. And uh, I think issues like how captions will work in immersive environments, all of these questions that we have really need to be addressed. And luckily there are groups out there like the XR Access Initiative that are exploring these questions, uh, getting people to talk about them at their recent symposium. And this is the first time a lot of people have considered these, these different issues and bringing them to light now is so critical. Absolutely. 
when, when you consider and incorporate accessibility from the start, it's always gonna save time, it's gonna save stress, it's gonna greatly reduce the barriers that are encountered in the future. This is Alexa. I also believe that when you do that, you end up with a better product because these things don't just benefit people with disabilities, they really benefit everybody. It's commonly known as the curb cut effect. But beyond that, creating these technologies that incorporate all different perspectives from the beginning will benefit users in ways they never could have imagined. Absolutely spot on Alexa and that universal design approach as well. Speaking of Jay, I'd like to follow up on all the great points that Alexa made. She's absolutely right. Universal design and, and thinking about accessibility from the start are key. Again, though, these, regarding these platforms, they are becoming larger, they're becoming more complex, there's more moving parts. So very often, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So when you're looking at vendors and when you're looking at things like immersive reality, you not only want to look at what product you're going to buy, but what kind of company, but also how well those companies provide support down the road. Some of these vendors actually have ways or channels for which people with disabilities people with disabilities can specifically target their issues, questions, or complaints and get fairly quick responses. And that's terrific because that's an acknowledgement from the vendor that while they may do as much as they can to make it accessible from the start, they're going to miss things or they're going to break things as they build new things. And so always keeping that dialogue with the vendors is going to be very important. And while we know not everyone can do that, it's important that organizations like, as you mentioned, SR Assets and others are maintaining those dialogues. So be aware of who's talking to whom and always keeping on top of the vendors when you have issues. It's very important so they can fix them. Again, it just boils down to that effective communication. Um, you know, Jay and Alexa, you know, just meetings and communication and getting everybody on level playing field and flexibility and that follow-up. You know, again, so, so key. Jane, Alex, you've provided some great points. You know, as we wrap up here, um, what are some resources that can be used to spread the word and learn about um, accessible, inclusive virtual meetings and emerging uh, technologies? Jay, well, we at the Office of Accessibility provide a fantastic monthly newsletter. So if you want to subscribe to that, you can send a text message to four six, eight, three, one, one. Test that number and send a text, M-N-I-T space A-1-1-5. If you do that, you'll get a welcome message back and you'll subscribe to our newsletter. We'll also provide a link to where you can come to our website and then you can find the newsletter there as well. You'll get tips on digital accessibility, announcements and new resources, stories about all types of current projects, and as well as upcoming events and training by us and others. You should also come visit our website, which is mn.gov slash mnit slash accessibility. So those are two resources that we provide, and then we can provide links to those who do so many other resources that are out there. Thank you, Jay. Your organization really offers some incredible, you know, timeless um, resources as well as, you know, keeping in the loop. And Alexa for Pete. 
Sure. So I already mentioned Pete's by IT guide. Uh, we also have checklists for accessible virtual meetings and a guide for picking an accessible vir virtual meeting platform. So listeners can go to peteworks.org, P-E-A-T-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G and find those resources and a lot more. As I said, we're coming up with some exciting XR focused uh, information coming up. So stay tuned. Thank you, Jane Alexa. And, and the resources that have been discussed during uh, this podcast, also um, additional resources, an extensive list of those links and organizations will be available along with this podcast. So check it out. Um, thank you so very much, Jane Alexa. You know, we're so grateful for sharing your time, your invaluable insights on accessible, inclusive virtual meetings. And thank you, ADA Live listeners, for joining us for this episode. To access ADA Live episodes, visit our website at adalive.org. All episodes are archived with stream audio, accessible transcripts, and resources. Listen to the SoundCloud ADA Live channel at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. Download the ADA Live to your mobile device podcast app by searching for ADA Live. Have questions about the ADA? You can submit them anytime online at adalive.org or contact your regional ADA center in the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. All calls are free and confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marcia Schwanke, and Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Will City, the movement for improvement. See you next episode. Accessible store.